we continue today in our exploration of the baptism of Jesus Christ. Last week, we read from Matthew's account on the baptism, and just now, Cindy read from the Gospel of John on that same occasion. This is part of the epiphany theme. The epiphany is the manifestation, the divine manifestation of Jesus, both perfectly human, but also perfectly divine. And we've been exploring what the baptism of Jesus means for us. And we saw last week out of Matthew's text, it says this, just to refresh our minds. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. And last week, we, we looked at what that meant because in, in Matthew's account, you have the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all on marvelous display. Jesus is coming up out of the water, sort of foreshadowing of, of what he would be doing on our behalf just three years later in, at the end of his ministry. He comes up out of the water, baptized not for the remission of sin because he is sinless, but more as the perfect human, the one who like us is made like us in every way is also leading us in every way. And those that would come after him are all those who are baptized. And so he is modeling that for us. He is showing us that to follow him is to be baptized into his death, that we might have the hope of new life. And so that's, that's Jesus, the member of the Trinity. And then we saw that the Holy Spirit descended on him as a dove. And the Holy Spirit's role is to, that, that descent of the Holy Spirit is an anointing. An anointing is a preparation for ministry. This baptism is taking place at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Nobody has seen him publicly other than when he was 12 in the temple. But up until then, his, his calling as Messiah, the reality of what that would mean, the mission on which he is about to embark, requires the anointing of God. And that happens in the form of the Holy Spirit. And that's all we had time for. So this week we pick up the part where God the Father manifests himself with a voice that comes from heaven that says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. There's so much just in that phrase, this is my son whom I love. And maybe this all, some, sometimes if you watch, if you watch programs like I watch, I kind of skip ahead. This might feel like as I'm describing this, we're skipping ahead, just sort of hitting the high points of what this means. But to hear the father say, this is my son, first thing that strikes us is this, this is a term of relationship. God the Father is saying, Jesus, is, Jesus and I, my son, we are inseparable. He is part of this family. We are, if, if you're a member of a family, you may love your family, you may not like your family, but you're still a member of the family. There is an irrevocable relationship that is implied by here. here. But it is a relationship that is based on love. Because this is what the Father explains in the very next phrase. Whom I love. What kind of relationship does Christ have with the Father? It's, he is his son. Jesus is the son of the Father. What's the quality of the relationship? It is one that is characterized by love. And indeed, when we see the Trinity, the best word to describe three persons in one being, 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how do we understand them? We understand them with the word love. There's no better way, there's no really other way to describe how they relate to one another. How, what their fundamental, the fundamental nature of their being. It is love. And it's interesting to see that love is, is not only relational, but it's such a term of, of affection as well as intimacy. It is also, when we talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we see each of them is giving on behalf of the other. The Father is, is giving uh, affirmation to the Son. The Holy Spirit is giving to Christ the anointing. The Father sends the Spirit. The Spirit comes to the Son. The Son loves the Father. This is all Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in marvelous display, and the way we would sum that up is love. And so we understand that the love that God provides is a love that is first and foremost relational. At its heart, it is giving. It is affectionate. It is intimate. And it's interesting that the Father says these words at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. I mean, it would be... What would we say at the beginning of some endeavor, just in our own human frame? We would probably say something like, hey, um, I'm with you. You can do it. It's going to be hard, but you'll you'll get to the end. Some kind of encouraging, almost like coach-like thing. Like, we can do it. Come on, team. I don't know what Mike Shanahan said at the beginning of the game last yesterday with the Niners, but whatever he said, it worked. And so we're happy for that. But God starts his initiation, his inauguration of his son's public ministry with an affirmation of the relationship and the dynamic of love. And the surprise, why do we call this surprised at the Jordan? The surprise is this, that just like a surprise party, when you're going to a surprise party, somebody says, hey, we're we're having a party, you should come. And then you realize that the party is really for you. That's the posture that we have confronting this text, getting into this text. We come and we can see ourselves maybe around the Jordan watching John the Baptist baptize Jesus, comes up out of the water, hearing the voice from heaven, seeing the Spirit descend as a dove. And we might think this is wonderful to be here and behold the Trinity and its marvelous manifestation. But then we realize that Jesus turns to us and says, this party, this baptism is for you. The love that I have for my son is the same love that I have for you. It's no different. It is no less. It is no less intimate. It is no less giving. And I think we, for a variety of reasons, can have a hard time understanding that or even accepting that. Here are just some of the things that occur to me. Uh, I won't own that they're all autobiographical, but there's probably a good case that could be made for that. Three, three hindrances that, that come that I'm aware of and I see, and you guys, I think, may resonate, resonate with this. That love that's being talked about, that love that sends Jesus into the world, not just to show off and to say God is here, but fundamentally on a rescue mission to, to go to those who do not know God, particularly those who claim to know God and yet do not, and to say this is who God really is. Jesus embarks on that. He does that out of love for his father. His father sends him out of love for us. And yet we find that we we fend that off. We, We push back. 
These are some of the things that I have found myself doing at various times. What are some of the hindrances to actually receiving this love that, that is on display here? One may be that we just try to limit God's expression of love. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, talks about the love of God, agape, as gift love. That as love originates from God, it is a gift to us. And then as we, as his children, as humans, with all our imperfections, as we receive it, that's called need love. Gift love comes from God. We are the recipients. We need that love. He calls it need love. And he likens it to a child or an infant who's just born who cannot meet their own needs. A parent must be alongside to help with all that that child needs to grow well. Food and care and hugs and all that and warmth and clothes and social life and beholding God's creation. And we know that and we pray for that and I know that and I pray for that. And when I pray for the things that, that, that I need to live in this world, we pray for jobs, we pray for food and provision, we pray for the means to be able to bless other people, we pray for relationships to go well or to be healed, we pray for a measure of health. These are all really good things. And many of us can give testimonies to the faithfulness of God in these areas, how he's delivered us, how he's met us at those places of need. But if we only stay there, we are like children that still have a ways to go in order to grow. We, we still have a way to, to, be, to let that love ripen and mature so that we are not just always seeing God as the dispenser of abundant things that we need, but we are also seeing, Lord, okay, I think you actually, aside from providing me things, you actually have more for my life than I'm maybe grabbing a hold of. What is it that I, I don't sense necessarily your purpose or the ways that you're calling me to glorify you? That would be the next step. So we don't want to just stay in that circle of, of limiting our prayers to only a limited experience of his love. But rather we want to go and say, Lord, you're giving these to me for a purpose and you are sending me out into some part of this world to do what you've done for me. Help me, Lord, to understand what that is. Let me be fulfilled in that way as well, not just to receive it. God has given us a purpose and a calling. And if we don't let that love mature in our hearts, then we'll just supplant God's purpose and calling with our own. And we'll relegate him to a particular area of just providing for our needs. So sometimes that, can, that will be a hindrance. God, Jesus didn't just sit on the banks of the Jordan glorifying in this amazing display of the Father and the Spirit, but he knew that was a sending call. And we too, as we experience God's love and his forgiveness and the new life that he gives us, that's, a, that's the start of being sent. So sometimes we, we just kind of box God in like that. Sometimes when we think of God's love, we think, you know what? I'm glad Jesus did that for me on the cross. But to live under his love and to live with that consistently, honestly, I'm so aware of my own stuff and junk and I'm really just not good enough to carry on. Despite the, what Jesus did for me, I just find it hard to accept parts of myself. 
I'm all too aware of my sinful self, my selfish self. The things that I do that I say I, wouldn't, I wasn't going to do those again and I did them again. The way that I treated that person when I thought, Lord, that I'd been pretty prayed up and I wasn't going to treat them that way. Those attitudes that I find are really stubborn and seemingly resistant to any amount of scripture I seem to be read, I want to read. Here's some good news. God loves you and he loves me because that's his nature. Because God is love. There's no, you know, this is what, this is John's shorthand for us understanding God. God is love. So he doesn't love us because we're finally acting better than we used to. He doesn't finally say, well, okay, you know, it took you some time to get yourself sorted out, but now I can give you a little bit measure of love. Sometimes we, we grow up with parents, parent figures, just a, uh, that was our world that we grew up with. And it was that you got um, approval or you got accolades based on the things that you did. But God's love is ever free because it emanates from who he is. And he loves us more than our behavior. Our behavior can never, you could be the golden child and he would not love you anymore. You could be the black sheep of the family and he could not love you any less. God loves you because he is love. And that is what he can, that's, that's, that's who he is. So how do we respond to that? We receive it. There's only one option. We, can, we just receive it. We, we, we can't improve it. There's nothing to improve upon. We just say, Lord, you love me adequately, more than adequately. You love me in my job, even though I'm aware of things and I'm not doing well. You love me in my marriage, even though there's things I'd like to correct. There's things my spouse would definitely like me to correct. Lord, you see it all, and yet you still love me. If we don't think that we're good enough, if we don't accept this, then we end up trying to do our own thing to make ourselves acceptable. And if our own thing was actually going to make us acceptable, it would have worked a long time ago. And people would have said, hey, that's great. But we know that we just sort of go in these circles. Move out of that. You know, begin to make some steps past that. The Ohio State Psychology Group just announced a study recently where they, this past week, where they were trying to help people that were dealing with anxiety and dealing with depression. And they, they, there's modalities of, of cognitive behavioral therapy where your group of people that aren't judging you and all that, they... They're just receiving you. Those, those are tried and true. But they tried a new modality, and that was this. They instructed the third group to actually go do acts of kindness. They had a measurement, but the acts of kindness were pretty straightforward. It was things like, you know, a bunch of cookies and give them to them. Go give somebody a ride. And what they found was that those that actually did that had a, a better results in terms of being less anxious for a longer period of time than the others. And they postulate that the reason for that was because they're actually making a personal connection that requires them to give something of themselves. And when you invest a portion of yourself in the life of another person, you begin to experience what it means to love someone, which is what we were designed to experience because we were designed by our Father who gives, this is who He is. He loves us, which means He gives to us. The Father gave us his Son. The Son gives us his life. 
The Holy Spirit gives us a whole host of things. Love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Every member of the Trinity is giving us something. If we want to experience what it means to love, we move into these places of giving to others. Third last hindrance that I see sometimes is when we realize just what God's call is on, call is on our life and we think of the hard, how difficult loving the way Christ loved us is. We begin to actually count the cost. We read in the Sermon on the Mount that if we just love those who love us, what credit is that to us? And Jesus ups the ante, so to speak, and he says, love your enemies. Here's Matthew 5, 43 to 45 on that. You've heard it that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. To love your enemies, that is hard to do. This weekend, we honored Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I've been reading through uh, the book that he wrote, in, published in 1963, called Strength to Love, which is a series of sermons that he gave at the height of the civil rights effort and movement. Here's how he exegeted that passage in Matthew that I just read. It says, the reason why we should love our enemies is that love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. We never get rid of an enemy by meeting hate with hate. We get rid of the enemy by getting rid of enmity. By its very nature, hate destroys and tears down. But by its very nature, love creates and builds up. Love transforms with redemptive power. Why does Jesus call us to love our enemies? Because he is love itself, and love is the only way that all that impacts us, all that afflicts us, all that causes disease, all that is a reflection of this corruption will ever be healed. His supreme act of love is the supreme gift of himself. There's nothing else that he could have done that would achieve what we needed, would have freed us from death and from sin. And so God calls us to love in the same way that Jesus loved us. At the end of the Lord's ministry on the night of the Last Supper in John's account, he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love. When I think of how the Lord loves us, how he loves you and how he loves me, I want more of that love. Whatever measure I have, whatever uneven practice I do with that, I know that the Lord is not done with me. He's not done with you. He's not done with Holy Trinity. But it is only as we move forward in his call of love there's only as when we come to him, we'll be confronted with that love and enwrapped with that love as we desperately need to be. And it's a love that never leaves us the same. It is a love that we will never regret. It is a love that, in fact, we need as our bodies need oxygen. And so in this second Sunday after Epiphany, 
And as we think we're just in the first month of this new year, I would pray that should God allow us to see another epiphany season a year from now, we would have any number of testimonies about growth in that love, about the ways that we saw Jesus like we've never seen him, about we didn't think we could go the extra mile, but we did. We didn't, we got tired of just asking God for things and we wanted him now to take us into directions. We were afraid and we were anxious about stuff, but somehow when we connected with his presence, which is always there and his activity, which is always there, we were calm and we were capable. These are not far away from us. I pray this spirit because this is who he says he is, would lead us into that truth with joy and with patience and with love. Amen. 